Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. On this morning's Every Day is Earth Day, we are going to be talking with 97-year-old Dr. John Cobb. And he is part of the Living Earth Movement, whose mission is to inspire global cooperation for the sake of all life on the planet, beginning with the United States and China. He wrote a book called, Is International Cooperation Possible? A Bold Appeal for a Living Earth. Cobb believes we all need a change in philosophy to save our planet. As an introduction, John B. Cobb Jr., born in Japan in 1925, of Methodist missionary parents and spent most of his first 15 years in Hiroshima and Kobe areas. He is now in California and he's considered one of the founders of an organization called the Living Earth Movement. Good morning, John. Good morning to you. So what is this Living Earth Movement all about? Okay. Well, it actually originated out of my keen concerns about what's happening between the U.S. and China. I think that the greatest hope for the planet is that U.S. and China will cooperate in response to such things as global warming. And I think the greatest threat to the world is that the U.S. and China will get embroiled in a war. I think either of these things is possible. Now, the mission statement is to inspire global cooperation for the sake of all life on our planet, beginning with the U.S. and China. And so that is the impetus for this. And initially, apparently, you had written a letter to Presidents Biden and Z. Yes, I did. Let's talk about that. Well, the reason I wrote the letter was, I think I've already said, my conviction of the importance of this relationship. And I was quite disturbed because... Mr. Biden repeatedly called China his number one enemy. And at the same time, I was happy to see that he was asking China to cooperate in dealing with climate change issues. But I didn't think that President Xi was constantly being called the U.S.'s number one enemy, and frankly, U.S. behavior was well, had an enemy character to it, mm-hmm. that uh, he, he would be likely to really engage in cooperation. You need a different kind of a context for cooperation. So, so I wrote Mr. Biden and said it would help if he stopped calling China his enemy. It would give China a better chance to respond positively to his talk about cooperation. And I've sent the same letter to President Xi and said, if President Biden gives, makes any gesture at all toward more friendly relationships, I hope for the sake of our grandchildren that he would respond to the possibility of cooperation about environmental issues and that they would then form a committee to really do serious study of what they could do together. 
Did you get any responses from either way, either side? No, I did not hear from either one of them. But the amazing thing was that shortly after that, President Biden made a statement that he would call China his competitor, number one competitor rather than an enemy. How consistently he's followed that since then, I'm not sure, but it was certainly a a positive step in itself. Then President Xi, who had understood that what was going on in Glasgow was basically an American operation, did come to Glasgow, and they did appoint a committee. So whether whether my letter had anything to do with it, of course, I'll never know, (laughs) but... uh, Since they did what I asked of them, it doesn't matter. How did you develop this conviction that you wanted to address this issue? Where did that come from, China and the U.S.? Well, I have been, for the last decade or more, maybe it's 15 years by now, I've been active in in China. Do you think it's possible that the United States and China can work out something. You're very well, as you mentioned, well known over in China, but we've got, of course, some issues between the, the countries and your organization, the Living Earth Movement, wants to work to make the cooperation. Is that possible? Is it possible? Is, of course, a, a question. Actually, the primary obstacle is United States foreign policy, because the United States goal is to dominate the whole planet. And Some countries don't want to be dominated, and China is the most powerful of the the countries that don't want to be dominated by the U.S. If the U.S. would decide that it would be okay to have a world in which there were lots of countries, each one having basic independence of the others, then there would be no tension between China and the U.S. So... Changing the change that is most needed is a change in U.S. foreign policy. But obviously, I have no ability to work <laughs> on that directly. Now, you just came out with a booklet called Is International Cooperation Possible? A Bold Appeal for a Living Earth. And yes. in this, are you looking for people to look at this and say, What can I do to try and make a difference? Is that kind of the goal? Uh, Yeah, of course. What we would like is for people to understand how important it is to the very survival of humankind that countries cooperate instead of fight. And we have one wonderful example in my lifetime, a lifetime of a lot of people, and that is that after World War II, the heads of France and Germany decided that competing with each other and fighting each other was not a good idea. And so the European community was created. And in Europe, since that time, we, we really can't imagine a war between France and Germany because they're both part of one community. And so we really want people to think about, wouldn't it be okay for the United States to be part of a community of nations rather than to be dominant in a world of competing nations. I think there are lots of Americans who, if they really had the issues posed to them in the right way, would say, yes, we see a point, especially when we are confronted by such terrible threats 
as climate change, that it would be better for us to use our resources to cooperate with each other than to use them to kill each other. So what can each of us do today to help with the Living Earth Movement to accomplish the goals of working together to save our planet? I I mean, it seems so daunting. Well, oh, of course, no one, I mean, (laughs) changes are, uh, are difficult, but I think it would, it might become possible to get some discussion about the topic of cooperation with other countries in our Congress. That would be a wonderful step if they would even talk about that as a possibility. Uh, and I don't think that's impossible. Our little group needs a whole lot of other people to join with us in thinking this is important. And if we can get enough people to think it's important, we may be able to publicize the the idea enough that ordinary people will will get the idea. Yes, when, when you confront terrible dangers to continue fighting each other instead of responding to the dangers together is not wise. So I think our message is kind of common sense. But we have been so tutored to think that competition is the natural way for people to be together. I don't think it is. I think that the family is naturally a cooperative unit. And villages in the past have naturally felt, recognized some need to cooperate. And the people in the nation have felt some need to cooperate for them sake of the nation. And the European nations, as nations, decided that was good reason to cooperate instead of compete. So it's not running against something very deep, but unfortunately, the what I would call the theology of the United States and Europe and much of the world today is taught in economics departments. Mm. And and, the the model that is presented there is that the natural desire of everybody is to have as much as possible for themselves, and the resources are limited, and therefore human relationships are primarily and fundamentally competitive. And then we think of that not only in terms of individual relations, but national relations. What do you think is going to happen if the two great powers, U.S. and China, can't or won't work together to save the planet. We hear if they work, to, if if, they work together. Well, uh, if they I've won't, spent, work, yeah. What if we can't get them to work together? And well, pro- I can't get it to yeah. work together. Well, uh, I think probably there will be no human beings on the planet in fifty years. Wow, wow. So you're well, saying we something needs to be done soon? I'm I'm saying that we really have a choice, and and the choice is whether to live or die. And if we care more about being rich when we die than we do about living, we will continue to compete because there is a limited amount of wealth. So if if we prize money more than life, we will destroy ourselves. So if people want to learn more, they can go to thelivingearthmovement.eco to find out more information about this movement and how to get involved? Yes, of course. You're 97 years old, so yes. how long so do you think... I, I don't expect it. <laughs> <That's> a... <laughs> I, 
I don't. I I think that the world will still be around in much the same form when I'm no longer here. But it's amazing how you see there was a brief period around 1969 to 1972 when the American people were convinced that human society or that hundreds or tens of millions of people were convinced that our society was unsustainable. That was the language that we used in those days. When Nixon was president, three very good pieces of legislation were passed. Well, the, the people who saw that if we continued in that direction, it would be harder for them to make money, figured out how to end the power of that movement, which we called an ecological, or just sustainable, was really the most commonly used word, movement for sustainability. And they persuaded us that we should take on specific tasks and not talk in such general terms. And once we stopped working together, but lots of people talk, you know, some people trying to save the whales, and some people trying to mm-hmm. save the forests, and some people trying to save the indigenous people, you know, on and on and on. You've got lots of separate causes. Then the legislation passed by Congress from that time on has not been helpful for this purpose. But the fact that it was helpful for a few years means it's not impossible. Unfortunately, the people who control the news, the press, and the people who control universities are people who are more interested in the money side than in the life side. So it's hard to get the message out. It's going to take a change of attitude, and that's not easy to do. That's right. But attitudes have changed before. You see, even 50 years ago, the primary religion, if I could use that term, of the world was nationalism. And it's very interesting to see how nationalism has ceased to be the primary influence. Money, economism has replaced it. So that's a very deep change. When I was going to school, if I had said the reason I'm going to college is so I can get a better job, people would have thought I was a bit nutty. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it, it was not. But now 98% of students say that's why they go to college. Yeah, that's the norm now. That's the norm. Okay. So you can see that's a huge change that has recently taken place. I'm not, not saying it's a good change. I'm just saying our values do change. What do you think drove that change from? Uh, well, I think that there were people who felt that it was that being too much committed to what's, to the well-being of a nation in some with some definition of well-being, different from being rich, was interfering with the development of political policies that were primarily designed to benefit transnational corporations. And, of course, the news media are controlled now by the transnational corporations and they fund the universities. So it, it has not been accidental. In the academy, there was a profound change when I was going to school, the model or the way we thought about higher education was in terms of liberal arts. 
that goes back to the Greeks. But liberal arts have disappeared, and they have been replaced by academic disciplines. Liberal arts encourage people to think. Academic disciplines encourage people to do research and to produce reliable information, and they pride themselves on being value-free. And they say, we provide pure information, and the people who receive that, maybe governments or businesses or whatever, can use it as they please. They are the ones who will have purposes and goals. So that's a a very dramatic change Mm -hmm. in the understanding of what education is about. We're talking with John Cobb, Jr., who is the founder of the Living Earth Movement and just has come out with a booklet called Is International Cooperation Possible? A Bold Appeal for a Living Earth. We're running out of time here for the show. Any final words from you that you'd like to share, John, before I let you go? Well, I'll, I'll just say thank you for the opportunity to talk, and my hope lies in the basic common sense of human beings <laughs> and the hope that they will recognize that most of what they learn, even in school, but certainly through the news media, is propaganda which is controlled by people who are primarily interested in making money. If we could be a little bit more independent in our thinking, we would have a chance of using common sense to save ourselves. Well, John, thank you for your information. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you sharing your perspective. I wish you the best. Thank you very much. Same to you. Bye-bye, John. Bye. Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union. With two locations in Mankato since 1934, it pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA. More at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org.